Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. Where is God when life seems unfair? Uh, Have you ever wondered why God doesn't punish evil when it actually happens? I mean, think about that for just a minute. Why doesn't God punish evil when it actually happens? Uh, In my mind, like, when it happens. You know, somebody's about to do something, eh, done, you know. But, But then I got thinking about that. Even though we would love it if God did that, if we were really honest in 24 hours, we'd all be wiped out, wouldn't we? I mean, I think we would if we were honest. Um, For whatever reason, when you think about how God has set up time and the universe and the world and how things work, it's not on the hand on the hot stove model. You know what I'm talking about. When you're a kid and you were told, don't put your hand on that hot stove, you're going to burn it. And if you did that, then you know what happens. It hurts. And you get immediate feedback. I mean... You touch that hot stove, you burn your hand, you get immediate feedback. But what happens when you grow up and you leave home and you start out on your own and you cut a corner or two, you do this or you do that, and there's no, I touched the hot stove and my hand got burned. Uh, And instead, life becomes less like that and it becomes more like a report card. Now, I got a lot of teachers in the house. Let me explain what I mean by the report card. The report card says, look, You've got, what, six weeks, eight weeks, nine weeks, depending on what kind of format you've got. You've got a certain number of weeks to go to school, do your homework, uh, take the test and the quizzes and write the papers, put in the effort, and then your grades come back. Now, you get grades every week, right? You get grades every day or so. Whenever you do something, you're going to get a grade. But, boy, when that report card comes out... Now we're talking about a body of work. We're looking at quite a few weeks. We're looking at trends. We're looking at patterns. We're looking at habits. And that C, D, or F looms large when it's not what you want, correct? And, and I, I think about life and I go, well, you know, that's kind of the way God has designed life. You see, there is a, a God in heaven. And there is a judgment day that's coming. But rather than God whapping you over the head every time you make a mistake, he says, look, there's a final exam that's coming someday. And you need to make sure that you're prepared for that because when you stand before him, then you're going to look at the body of work and you're going to see the, the trends and the patterns and the habits and all of those things. Now, why do I say that? Because as we look at Habakkuk chapter 2 today, we're right in the middle of the short letter. Um, Habakkuk doesn't understand the injustice he sees in this world, and he cries out to God about it. And then God says, well, believe it or not, Habakkuk, I'm doing something about it, and I'm going to use the Chaldeans, which is another name for the Babylonians, and I'm going to use them to discipline my people. And he's like, what? And the big question that Habakkuk raises is, God, how can you use a wicked group of people to discipline and punish those that are more righteous than themselves? That doesn't make sense. And so the issue of fairness comes up. Where is God when life seems unfair? And I want you to understand this analogy between the hand on the hot stove and the report card 
because when you look at how God has built life as a system, you've got to look at the whole picture. You've got to look at the full body of work. God could whap us over the head every time we sin, but instead he says, listen, I want you to realize there's a final exam coming. Are you ready for that and live your life in light of that? Well, here in Habakkuk chapter 2, in verse 6, God speaks to Habakkuk. He gives him a vision, and he speaks about this issue of the Babylonians or the Chaldeans. And he basically gives him a taunt song. And so look, if you will, in Habakkuk 2, verse 6, he says, Won't all of these take up a taunt against him with mockery and riddles about him? And then here's what they will say. And there's a woe in verse 6, 9, and then 12, 15 and 18, and we'll read those in a minute. But Habakkuk proclaims five woes, five woes that give you five really good reasons why God will still judge the Babylonians, even though right now he's using them for his own purposes. Let's look at them very quickly. In verse 6, he says, Woe to him who amasses what is not his. How much longer? And loads himself with goods taken in pledge. Won't your creditors suddenly arise and those who disturb you wake up? And then you'll become spoiled for them. Since you've plundered many nations, all the people who remain will plunder you because of human bloodshed and violence against lands, cities, and all who live in them. The first woe is about theft. It's about taking what belongs to others for ourselves. You know the Ten Commandments. The eighth of the Ten Commandments says, Thou shalt not steal. Uh, now, here's the thing. Stealing is more than breaking into someone's house or robbing a bank. If we're honest, when we think of stealing, we think of this guy with a mask on, right? And he sneaks in and he, he does a hold up at the bank or he sneaks in and he breaks into a house when no one's there. Uh, that's part of what it looks like to steal, but that's not all of it, is it? Stealing is any time we take what belongs to someone else without permission for ourselves. Now, when you start breaking that down, that, that, that hits a lot of people in a lot of different ways. Jeremiah said, He who makes a fortune unjustly is like a partridge that hatches eggs it didn't lay. In the middle of his life, his riches will abandon him, and so in the end, he will be a fool. In other words, when you steal from others in the end, you will lose it all because it wasn't yours to start with. Let's look at the second woe there in verse 9. Woe to him who dishonestly makes wealth for his house to place his nest on high to escape the grasp of disaster. You have planned shame for your house by wiping out many people and sinning against your own self. For the stones will cry out from the wall and the rafters will answer them from the woodwork. Again, uh, God is speaking to Habakkuk about the Babylonians, this, this, this ruthless, wicked people that he is using to discipline his own people. And he says, listen, I get it. You don't understand it. It doesn't make sense. It's hard for you to accept. But I'm keeping a record of everyone, including them. And they are guilty of theft. And a second thing they're guilty of is injustice. Injustice, treating others unjustly to gain an advantage over them. Trampling over others to get what they want. You know, Black Friday's coming. Isn't that right? When Black Friday uh, started to be a big thing, I remember when the cops would show up at Walmart. You know what I'm talking about? And, and every year something happened. And uh, it, it, it happens. 
We don't need to uh, get into injustice where we literally trample over others in a way to get what we want. In the end, we will lose it all. And that's the picture that he paints here. Woe to those who dishonestly uh, accumulate wealth uh, for themselves. Look, look at the next woe. The next woe there in verse 12. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and founds a town with injustice. Is it not from the Lord of armies that the people labor only to fuel the fire and countries exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the water covers the sea. The third woe is violence, hurting others to gain power for yourself. And again, he says it will come to nothing. There in verse 13, that you'll only fuel the fire and exhaust yourselves for nothing. Look at the fourth woe there in verse 15. Woe to him who gives his neighbors drink, pouring out your wrath and even making them drunk in order to look at their nakedness. You'll be filled with disgrace instead of glory. You also drink and expose your uncircumcision. The cup in the Lord's right hand will come around to you and utter disgrace will cover your glory. For your violence against Lebanon will overwhelm you. The destruction of animals will terrify you because of your human bloodshed and violence against lands, cities, and all who live in them. The fourth woe is about exploitation, taking advantage of others in order to please yourself. And what does God say? You'll be filled with shame and disgrace. And then the fifth one in verse 18, what use is a carved idol after its craftsman carves it? It's only a cast image, a teacher of lies, for the one who crafts its shape trust in it and makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood wake up or to mute stone come alive. Can it teach? Look. It may be plated with gold and silver, yet there's no breath in it at all. But the Lord is in His holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in His presence. The fifth woe is idolatry. Idolatry is when we trust something other than God in our lives. In this case, it was wood and stone. Uh, he's saying you can look at a wooden idol and say, wake up, it's not going to. You can look at a stone idol and say, come alive, but it's not going to. God's verdict says you'll be deceived and disappointed. So what does all these woes have to do with anything? It is the five biggest reasons why God reminds Habakkuk, I'm going to judge everyone. In other words, even though I'm dealing with your sin right now, I'm aware of the Chaldeans, I'm aware of the Babylonians, and they will be held accountable for what they've done wrong. My eyes are open. I'm not blind. I see everything. I know everything. And so I will deal with this. And so I want to give you three assurances this morning that remind us that God will do what is right. Besides, I learned a long time ago, life isn't fair. And if you want God to be fair, you're probably not going to be excited about that because what's really fair? But I believe God will do what's right. And let me give you three assurances as to how we know God will do what is right. Go back up there in chapter 2 all the way up to verse 4. And he says, The righteous one will live by his faith. When God gave Habakkuk this vision, that's for an appointed time, about the end, it will not lie. And though it delays, wait for it. In other words, it's like that report card. It's coming. One of these days, that report, report card's leaving school and it's going home and mom and dad's going to see it. And they're going to know if you've been doing your homework. They're going to know about those bad grades. They're going to know the whole story because it's going to tell it right there in the, in the report card. In the same way, when we stand before God someday, 
It's all going to be brought out. And so here are some assurances that we know that God's going to do what's right. Number one, God's delay teaches us to live by faith. Think about that. God's delay teaches us to live by faith. Because God doesn't whop us over the head every time we do something wrong, that doesn't mean that He uh, is ignoring it. It doesn't mean that we're getting away with it. It just simply means there's a delay built into the system. Have you ever noticed that when you fill a bathtub up and you pull the plunger out, it doesn't instantly drain, does it? It takes time for that to slowly go all the way down and drain out. And God has built a delay uh, time gap into life. We live life each day. We make decisions, and those decisions have consequences. And sometimes it takes time for us to see the fruition of those consequences. Here, God's delay teaches us to live by faith. Trust God. Don't be, a, don't be discouraged when you look around you. Don't, don't give up and quit when you look around you. The vision that God gave Habakkuk basically said, I know it looks bad now. But a day is coming, Habakkuk. A day is coming when every wrong will be made right. You have to trust me on this. It's an appointed time. It's about the end. It will not lie. And though it delays, wait for it. And so what I'm asking you to do is live by faith each and every day. When you and I learn to live by faith each and every day, then we can trust God with the big picture, can't we? We can say, God, I don't understand it. I don't like it. I don't know why you're not doing something, but I believe that you will, and I am putting this issue in your hands. So God's delay teaches us to live by faith. The second thing we learn is this. God's promise points to a future glory. One of the bright, shining spots in this chapter, maybe you saw it and maybe you didn't, there in verse 14, Habakkuk 2, 14, for the earth, will be filled with the knowledge of the Lord's glory as the water covers the sea. Now, you don't see that right now. That doesn't describe reality right now, this moment in 2019. But guess what? A day is coming. A day is coming in the future, an appointed time, when God's glory will cover the whole earth, will cover the whole planet. God is pointing forward and he's pointing to a promise to a future glory of how good and awesome it's going to be someday. That's why we can live by faith is we realize that God has got this. God is in control. We can trust him. And even though we don't like the way things look now, we can trust him for tomorrow because we know and we believe that there's going to come an appointed day, an appointed time when God's glory will cover the earth. What an awesome promise that is. You know, I'm one of those guys. When, how many of you count down when school's almost over? Anybody count down? Oh, yeah, there's a few of you. I, I was one of those too. You could ask me, 30 days, 10 hours, 3 minutes. I mean, I, I had it down. Uh, uh, why? Because that motivated me. I could look uh, uh, across the calendar and I could say, okay, in this block of time, there's the finish line and this is going to be over. It's going to be done. And boy, I'm getting excited thinking about it, right? Now, some of you, that doesn't motivate you at all. 
You know, when I was in, in school trying to finish seminary, Brother Don, I'd tell my wife that, and I'd be like, yeah, I'm one semester closer. And she's like, so what? You're still doing it, you know? So it doesn't motivate everybody. But boy, it sure did motivate me. God's promise points to a future glory. And there is going to be a day, an appointed time, when the Lord's glory will cover the earth. Why does that matter? Because that tells me that what I see right now, what I'm going through right now, is not the end. It's like being in the middle of a story and you don't like the chapter you're in, but if you know how it ends, just hang in there. It might be a bumpy ride, but if you hang in there, you're going to get to the end, and the end is beautiful and wonderful and glorious. That's a second assurance that God gives Habakkuk that he's going to do what's right. And then the third thing is God's presence reminds us he's in control. Notice how Habakkuk 2 ends. In verse 20, in contrast to these wooden and stone idols that can't speak, that aren't even real, he says, but the Lord is in his holy temple, verse 20, let the whole earth be silent in his presence you might look around and you see all kinds of chaos in this world you see all kinds of injustice you see things that don't make sense and it doesn't look fair it doesn't feel fair and you go where is God in all of this again God's silence does not mean God's absence he's around he's present he's absolutely present and it says he's in his holy temple. Notice it says holy. Uh, why is it calling it holy? Because of the one in the temple. It's a, it's a subtle reminder that our God is a holy God. And so he will eventually deal with all the wrongs that we see in this world. All the injustice we see. There is an appointed day. There is an appointed time. And yet he's in his holy temple. And the word is, let the whole earth be silent in his presence. God gives Habakkuk three assurances. That even when you don't understand Where's God when life seems unfair? God will do the right thing. His delay in the system of life teaches us to live by faith. His promise points to a future glory when every wrong will be made right and all that was lost will be restored. And His presence reminds us, guess what? He's still God. He's still on the throne. He's still in control. Oh, how we need to know this. You know, Psalm 73 I love Psalm 73, if you want to write that down and read it this week. It's a psalm, uh, it's a confession psalm from someone righteous that says, God, I looked around at this world and I saw a lot of things going on and I saw people that didn't know you, that didn't care about you, that didn't even want you in their life and they, they went out and they did what they wanted and it went well. It went really well, like, like their bodies look healthy and everything seems to be going fine in their life. They don't have any bothers or complaints or problems or burdens. And it just doesn't seem right. It just doesn't seem fair. And he says, I was almost at the point to where I'm like, why am I trying to live for God anyway, right? And then if you read Psalm 73, as you go through that chapter, he says, and then I came into the, the sanctuary, the house of God. And then he was reminded of these very things that we just talked about, that God's delay teaches us to live by faith, 
that God's promise points to a future glory, that God's presence reminds us He's in control, that there is a, there is a vision of the future that one day is going to come to pass at an appointed time, and it, even though it delays, wait for it, it will happen, it won't lie, that everybody will stand before God, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess, and everybody will be held accountable to God. There will be a day and a time and a place where God makes every wrong right. He deals with every sin, every situation that's ever happened. Now, depending on where you stand, that could be good news or that could be not so good news. But for the the guy in Psalm 73, it was a comfort. It was an assurance that, hey, I'm not living my life for God in vain. That what I do for the Lord right now matters that there will be a day and a time when he will take care of all these things and so I am going to trust him maybe today you're wondering why where is God when life doesn't seem fair I want to tell you he's still on the throne he's still in control he says I'm not done writing the story yet and even though there's this delay built into life you want to see somebody uh, get consequences for their actions trust me When the judgment day comes, everybody will be held accountable. But until then, where are you with me? I don't know about you, but I am thankful that God is long-suffering. That's a good King James word, isn't it? Long-suffering. God is long-suffering. He loves us, and He doesn't want any of us to to perish. He wants all of us to come to repentance. He wants all of us to come to a place to where we can turn from our sin and put our trust in God. And He's willing to give us every, uh, every opportunity possible for us to make that decision and come to that, that place. Maybe today you're there. It's my prayer that you are. And if you are, then I want you to realize the good news is this. God became man in Jesus Christ. He lived the life you and I should have lived. He died the death that you and I deserve. He took our place. Three days later, he rose from the dead, proving that he is the Son of God. And now he offers a gift, something that you can only receive. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. It's a gift. He offers a gift of eternal life to those who will come to him and trust and follow Jesus. Maybe today you need to take that step. If you've never been saved, maybe you need to realize, hey, I know that I have sinned. I know that one of these days I'm going to stand before God and it's going to be a final exam. Am I ready? Am I prepared? If you're not, today's the day. Now's the time to come to Christ and say, Lord, forgive me of my sins and I'm offering my life to you. Maybe if if you've done that, you need to go public with your faith. That's what baptism's all about. I love the little analogy you did, Brother Danny, last week with uh, uh, the, the bunches now. I can call them that. They're married, right? And, uh, and how, um, you know, when you get married, you put on the, the ring and you, you display your outward commitment of what's happened inside. When you get baptized, baptism is your public statement of faith. It's letting everybody know that you're identifying with Jesus Christ, the death, burial, and resurrection, that you believe that, and that it's a picture of what's happened into your it's a picture of what's happened in your life, that the old man is dead and you've been raised by the power of God to live a new life. That's why baptism is so important. Maybe God is leading you to to join a church. Maybe God is calling you to serve him. 
Huh? I believe God's still in the calling business, don't you, Brother Don? I believe God is looking for people who are willing to fully surrender to Him and say, Lord, I'll do whatever you would have me to do. Maybe God is calling you to do His work. Whatever it is, it's my prayer today that you will find comfort. You will find assurance in these promises that God is still in control, that He's still writing the story, and the future is going to end in a glorious way. And meanwhile, you and I are called to live this life by faith because God knows what He's doing. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact a pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.